Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We are going to have a, what again? A great show for you today. In fact, we have Harvey Wasserman with an interesting and most important message a little bit later. But let's get busy and start telling all our folks, hello, hello, hello. Welcome aboard. Tiala Wilson, she says, even in nature, there is a time that things need to be destroyed to grow renewed and vibrate. Higher than before, we don't want to fix things the right way, so it will burn to the ground. Hmm. Then we have Eric Hay says, keep watching Russia now, and the aggression is taking place based on American policy and what happened in Afghanistan, and America won't even defend its own country's boundaries. Man, you really got to the right-wing talking points rather quickly, man. They are, they are mutually exclusive, sir, but we can talk about that later on. E2247, yesterday, Berta put up a long feature with Terrell. It was outstanding. Hard to top that one. Well, we have another good one coming up for you, my brother. Bruce says, we want peace. Sir, I agree <coughs> with you. Okay, continuing, continuing, continuing. We have uh, Sarah Beathy. Beat. You know, I get the name, last name wrong all the time. Sarah, welcome aboard. E2247, welcome aboard. As well, Melanie Keaton, welcome aboard. Deb Denny says, I am lurking. I am lurking. I am lurking. Well, you keep lurking, my dear, beautiful lady. And, of course, we have the one and only AVQ says, Ahmad Aubrey's killers guilty on all federal hate crime charges. Ahmad will continue to rest in peace, but he will now begin to rest in power. Wanda Cooper-Jones, Ahmad Aubrey's mother, said outside the courthouse after the verdict was read, the hate crimes felony, the most serious of the charges the defendant faced, carries a maximum penalty of life in prison. I mean, as more of these criminals, of these killers, these assassins, these thugs get put in jail, maybe people would think a while before be bringing out their inner evil, allowing their inner evil to work on the outside. We hope, we hope. Supreme Court rejects Trump effort to hide January 6th records at this point. I have to wonder whether the January 6th inquiry into inciting, uh, insurrection will get Trump first, as Trump also has felony charges upcoming in both the New York AG's prosecution of his criminal enterprise businesses and in Georgia's AG case for subpoenaing, uh, subordinate election interference. Trump can't go a minute without lying, and Trump is too brazen to plead the fifth. So when he testifies under oath, according to Rudnan, he's done. One more here says, Citizens for Ethics tweeted, We expected this to happen after the court voted 8-1 to one to deny Trump's request to block documents while they considered his petition for review. But even though it was expected, it is good to see it happen. I hear you. I hear you. Te escucho. That's right. Last one from Rudnin says, Egberto. Snippets from a worthwhile long one. Why America has been so stingy in fighting child poverty? It was heralded as a game changer for America's social safety net. It dramatically reduced child poverty, but last month, the enhanced child credit, a kind of social security for kids, 
expired and millions of American children sank back into poverty in March 2021. President Biden and Congressional Democrats revamped the child tax credit as part of the American Rescue Plan. They restructured, they restructured it so that parents could get a monthly check for uh, the government. They increased the credit size, allowing parents to claim as much as $3,600 a child, a $300 a month, and they made the credit fully refundable so that even super low-income families who didn't pay much or anything in federal could get it. For those primarily concerned with ending child poverty, these changes were a resounding success scholars at Columbia University found. They reduced child poverty by about 30%. The failure of Washington to renew the enhanced child tax credit continues a long tradition in America. Our welfare system has long spent generously on the old, but it consistently skimped on the young. While America spends about as much or even more on the elderly than any many other rich nations, it spends significantly less on kids among the the most for almost 40 countries in the OECD, only Turkey spends less per child as percentage of their GDP. It is a big reason why the United States has much higher rate of child poverty than most other affluent countries and even has a higher rate of child poverty than some not so affluent countries. And the thing about it is even Cuba has a better rate than we do when it comes to maternal uh, death, all that kind of stuff. It's a shame. You know, and it's a shame that the people who are opposing this are generally the people who love to talk about family values, family values, family values. Those who talk about family values the most often are the ones who have valued families the least. Republicans, are you listening? Republican politicians, those who support them who are, we need to cut taxes, we need to cut taxes. In other words, we need to let them starve, even as we take our bigger share of the, the economic system. Let them starve. You know? It's amazing. It's just amazing. And it, just reading that kind of pisses you off, you know? All right, we have here, para ver, para ver. We have Tiala Wilson says they're literally about to sell land on the moon. So it's not enough to mess up the world now. We have our eyes set on the universe. Sad, really. But we are such an insignificant part of the universe, Tiala, that while that may mean something to us that, oh, they're selling pieces of the moon, it's just a very tiny piece of, not even as big as a piece of sand in the entire world, what the moon is to the universe. So, no, we, we, we kind of have a tendency to believe we are much more consequential than we really are. We're not all that consequential in the universe. We are tiny, tiny speck. Okay. E-2247 says nearly 5,000 troops from the 82nd Airborne Division who arrived in Poland last week are working with Polish forces to set up processing centers for tens of thousands of people, including Americans, who are expected to flee neighboring Ukraine. And you know, uh, our Terrell is in Ukraine, and he said, I'm staying, I'm staying, I'm staying. I spoke to him recently. Again, he said, I'm staying in Ukraine. Let's see what happens. Let's see if they try to get to Kiev from Belarus or not. We'll find out. Nanette Bird-Smith, welcome aboard, my friend. Welcome aboard, my friend. Eric Hayes says, Biden energy policy forces Americans a reliance on Russia's supply, but it doesn't have to. Why is this? No, okay. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up about the energy because I said I was going to speak about this. Russia is, the, the world puts out, and, and these numbers are fluctuating, and, and I may have some of them off by a year or two. But the total output of oil is, let's say, around 90-something 
95 million barrels of crude per day. Russia is responsible for, let's say, about 5 billion export market, 5 billion a day. That is not enough, first of all, to warrant where the price of crude is. Again, we run into the same thing that I've said. Inflation assumes shortages, the shortages caused by, even if we were to take all of the Russian oil off the market, we could make it up elsewhere. Now, if, if Russia goes into an agreement with OPEC, the rest of OPEC, even though there are sanctions on them because they're doing something that shouldn't do, there are still places to make it up. Do you know which is the country with the largest reserves of oil right now? I want you guys, you, you guys want to say it is, it is Biden's policy. No, it is America policy why we are getting all that oil from over there. Look, I am for using less oil. But if we really wanted to talk about accessibility of oil, there's a good, there's Venezuela, there is a ton of oil just waiting to be extracted in Venezuela if somebody wanted to do it. It has a lot of sulfur, but we have all the equipment to take care of processing that oil. But the thing is, we don't want to get that oil until we have the appropriate government in Venezuela. Because the government in Venezuela right now says the following, that we sit on the largest field of oil in the world in Venezuela. We are not going to allow, I mean, rather, we are not going to allow it to be extracted if that oil doesn't belong to all the people of Venezuela. So while Venezuela is poor, the people have nothing. They're sitting on a gold mine. And by the way, they have a lot of gold as well. But it won't be extracted because the powers of the world could not have that oil extracted under another socialist government where that oil's resources would belong to the entire country. They want that oil owned by the plutocracy. When that oil is extracted, it should go to the plutocracy. Look it up. Look to see who has the largest reserves of oils, not only in this hemisphere, but likely the world, Venezuela. Okay? So, when you speak about Biden's policy, speak about the policy of the plutocracy that prevents easily accessible oil from being drilled and mined because of our stance that only capitalism, where the, the people will get exploited in like they have always been in Venezuela. Remember Carlos Andres Perez and all the others will get exploited. So people, please, it is so important. And I'm glad you're listening to politics done right. Because you can choose to research what I'm talking about. But because you're not going to hear this on regular TV. Okay. So let's be clear here. It is our private sector corporations that create the policies to force our government not to do the appropriate things. You know what America could do right now? America could say, in our national interest and to protect the American people, we are going to send all the assistance to 
to Venezuela and operate under the Venezuelan regime to ensure that all that oil can continue to flow to the American people. But the way they think about it is that they say as follows. If we can't get the oil for the plutocracy where the plutocracy makes all the money and not the people of Venezuela, and that those socialists get that money, we will make America pay in pain. And then better now, even as Russia, if we were to take all the Russian oil off the market, it would only be at most 5% of the world's output. Only 5% of the world's output. And then somehow that's going to create $100 a barrel oil? Come on. Aren't you tired of being screwed by these plutocrats? Aren't you tired of being screwed by this thing they call capitalism? Where they claim it is the efficient use of natural, of the efficient allocation of resources. How the hell is it a, if, uh, uh, the efficient allocation of resources when we have a whole lot of resources, even though I don't like this particular resources, unused because of political shenanigans? So I thank you for bringing that up. Eric, because you gave me a chance to explain to you how it is American policy, not Biden policy, but capitalist policy that has us in the condition that we are in right now. And it's not America that's dependent on the, uh, dependent on the oil from Russia because oil is fungible. We produce enough oil in America to handle most of our needs. And I said America, meaning, uh, meaning North America, okay, Canada, Mexico, America, okay? So let's, let's understand how these things work before you jump and believe everything the right has to tell you. Uh, the, yes, Russia remains a second. Uh, I want you to fact check me. It's important that you fact check me. All right, let, let, I'll, I'll get to that. Let me continue reading down and I'll eventually get to your fact check. Peggy Lopez says, hi all, having a hard time paying attention these days, thinking Sonja Johnson was right in her statement. The powerful will get a point. They no longer have a need to pay attention to us. True. Tom C. says, alternate headline. Q, Handmaid's Tale, Michigan Republicans say, 1965 Supreme Court decision legalizing birth control was wrong. Banning abortion is not enough for the right wing. Can you believe that, man? You know, it's always the next step, right? Lawrence Sims says, don't be confused. Donald will not go to jail at best house the rest. Aha. All right, May Wood says, good afternoon. Lawrence Sim, welcome aboard. Tom C., welcome aboard. Peggy Lopez, welcome aboard. Mary Wood says, good afternoon, everyone. Daniel Ledo says, Egberto, do you call what Russia just did as an invasion? You bet your life it's an invasion. Eric Hayes, but we take in 17 to 25 million from Russia. 25 million what from Russia? I don't know what you're talking about. Russia doesn't even make 25 million barrels of oil per month. I mean, per day. I mean, the daily oil is 90-something million barrels, as I recall. And Russia puts out, I think, 5 million barrels on the export market. Somewhere around there, 5 or 6. Look it up. All right, let's see. So, uh, Michael Rennes says, socialist countries tend to nationalize primary resources, including oil and mineral wealth, for the benefit of their nation. Citizens or corporations can't have that. Exactly. Eso es lo que estoy diciendo. Okay. Uh, Eric says, uh, his watch, Egberto. Uh, um, um, of course, it's his watch. He's a president. But he can't make a change to a plutocratic system sole-handedly. Uh, it takes, it takes the, the entire Congress, etc., and when you have Manchin who is owned by the plutocrats, what do you do? 
Tori Morris says, Serra Week, March 7th at GRB. U.S. petrol pigs will be stumbling over themselves to replace Russian LNG gas with LNG gas from Texas for the German euro market. Not only Texas, it's Louisiana too, brother. That guarantee for Biden to Germany for cheap fuel is what got Germany in lockstep with the U.S. against Russia. Yep, yep, they're going to pump that gas that gas is going to be liquefied. I think they have a liquefied plant they were supposed to be building in California somewhere. I don't know if it, I don't know what the state is, and I don't know what the state of it here is in, in Texas. You can probably tell me, Terry Mercer. How are you doing, Terry, Tori? Uh, let's see what else we got here. Um, Putin's unhinged Security Council meeting shows even his biggest war hawks look scared. In a humiliating show, his show, his own spy chief stumble over words. You can watch a clip. Putin... 100% unhinged Security Council clip. Yeah, I'm going to look for it. Lauren says, and yet some are still confused about why the West and East are on the ruin and hate list. Exactamente. Rodden says, Egberto, pardon, fact check, Russia remained the second largest gas and the third largest oil producer, accounting for 17 to 12% of the global output. I said it was... 10%, which is close to the 12% you just mentioned there. Now, as far as LN, uh, as far as get natural gas, it's because, again, they are providing Europe with gas through these pipelines. We have the ability to do it again. Uh, remember, we burn off a hell of a lot of gas, but not only do we burn it off, but we do have the capacity as well. Gas is one of those things that, that we are flushed in as well. And I, so I don't think you're going against anything that I said, Mr. Rudnan. I said 10% is what Russia produced in oil. I don't think that's all that far from the 10% that I actually said. But, you know, fact check accepted. Um, let's see what else we have here. Michael Rennes says Russia has emerged as the world's largest oil producer, accounting for 12.5% of global oil market. Okay. And we could, look, think about this. Can everybody live with about 10% less gasoline in their car? The answer is probably yes. And uh, can we do a, quite a bit less driving? Remember when we had the pandemic and a lot more people stayed home? Of course. There are a lot of ways around this 10 per, losing 10 to 12% of the oil. The thing about it is we're not going to lose 10 to 12% of the oil because he's not going to keep all this oil off the market at all. So let's let's get practical here. Alistair Waters, welcome to Politics Done Right. Roberto Luis, ¿cómo estás, mi hermano? Bienvenido al programa. Uh, Michael Rondon says, Russia's daily oil production is 11,262,000. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, okay. I think I said 5 million. I was completely off there. It's actually, I was thinking 10, I was thinking 10 million barrels, which was 10% of the 100 million that I said 95 to 100 million that I said is produced every day. So thank you for giving that information. You come to Politics Done Right to get just that information that's true and fact-based. Thank you for the, looking that up. All right, Eric Hayes mentioned look, look, looking after his constituents, which is mostly fossil fuel, so he's doing his job, right? Wrong. He's Again, if, if his constituents were profiting from the coal, uh, which is what his fossil fuels is, right? Coal, not a whole lot of oil, but coal. But all the spoils go to the top. So no, that's not a true answer at all. Hi, Coop. Welcome. Hi, Coop 333. Have no patience for any right-wing idiot points today. Well, I don't call folks idiots. I just try to enlighten folks. 
Egberto, you can ride your bike if you want. Not everyone wants to walk everywhere. I ride my bike as well. Daniel Ledo said, we must tread very carefully on Ukraine. Putin and China are challenging America hegemony. My prediction is this will prove what we already know, that America is no longer the sole superpower. That has consequences. I don't know who ever really, really thought America was the sole superpower. Only people who were conceited, only people who were, what's the word that I say? Um, you know, you know those people that always talk about patting yourself on the back? We are existential, not existential, we are uh, exceptional. There's nothing exceptional of, about America as far as a country is concerned, right? I mean, what, are, what makes us more exceptional than France? What makes us more exceptional than Nigeria? What makes us more exceptional than Canada? What makes us more exceptional than these other countries? Please tell me. I mean, all the bad things that these other countries have done, we've done them. All the good things these other countries have done, we've done them. So we are just another good country that have done bad things, but a good country in all, 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 in, in, with good people. That's who we are. But anyway, let's go ahead and have Harvey Wasserman. He has something to say that nobody's talking about, and we're the first to carry this story because nobody seems to want to talk about it so we will here we go harvey take it away welcome to one more edition of politics and right i'm egberto willis your host today we're going to talk to harvey wasserman thank you egberto it's good to be with you although i wish we had a happier topic to talk about well look we uh, from what you're what we're talking about this part here is not going to be political there's a whole lot of stories going around on on all sides with this politics that Personally, I don't fully understand, even though I've interviewed a lot of people, but you have a specific issue relative to nuclear reactors. Why don't you tell our audience what's going well, on? Here's the bottom line. There are 15, count them, one, five atomic reactors at four sites that are operating now in Ukraine, including six at a place I can't pronounce, Zaporozhye, something like that, which, and those six and that's a lot of nukes to have in a single spot, are very close to the region that's being contested by the Russians. In addition to that, while the Russians are threatening Ukraine with war, they're also uh, integral to the operation of these four nuclear plants, four nuclear plants, 15 reactors. It's a nightmare. It's, it's a catastrophe. If, if Vladimir Putin wanted to lob a single mortar shell at one of the six reactors, in, uh, that, that are near him, he could cause a global, a global apocalypse that will make Chernobyl look like child's play. And nobody is talking about the fact that we have 15 reactors in now what's become a war zone. I mean, it, it is the ultimate nightmare of the so-called peaceful atom. More than a million people were killed by Chernobyl. The damage that was done is in, incalculable. And here we are looking at it again. So what what do we do about this? Exactly what has to be done? I mean, uh, it it is it it is kind of baffling that adults can be so uh, so ridiculously inept at policy. What do we do? It's all those reactors have to be shut, and the Ukraine really can't afford to do it. They get more than forty percent of their electricity from from those reactors, and here they're dependent on Putin to run those reactors, and he's threatening him with war. And, you know, the, the 12 of the 15 reactors in Ukraine are more than 30 years old. 
They were built by the old Soviet Union, for God's sakes. And, and, and we're dependent on the highest level of operating capability to keep those reactors from blowing up. And, and, and look what's going on there. No matter what you think about Russia or Ukraine, these reactors are there. They're completely vulnerable. Any attack, eight, eight, 10 guys could go in there. Uh, you know, one mortar shell could turn those places into an absolute apocalypse. This is the bitter fruit of the peaceful atom. And here we are, you know, if you had written this scenario, they would have dismissed you as being crazy or anti-nuclear or whatever. This is the reality. 15 atomic reactors in the war zone. I mean, come on. Now, are, we, now you're, cut, uh, are you telling me that in the Dunbar's area that there are some of these reactors as well? The six at Zaporozhavli, however you pronounce it, I'm sorry, um, are, are within a couple hundred miles. That's wow. all they got to be. You, you got to, you, uh, atomic reactors, if you have a problem with the cooling system, if you have a problem with the uh, control panel or, the, or, or the, any, anything, any of the pipes are cracked, any, any breakdown. If the, if the, uh, what if the crew uh, gets spooked and leaves, which has happened? Yeah, you know, uh, there, I can sit here for the next hour and give you a hundred scenarios where those six reactors, you know, in the United States, there are only three. There's only a couple of sites in the U.S. where there's a maximum of three reactors. To have six reactors at a single site within a, even a couple hundred miles of a potential war zone is absolutely insane. This, and, this and is actually more serious. Dangerous. Yeah, this is a kind of serious because, I mean, if you're telling me that they get, they're getting 40% of your electricity from these reactors, you're actually telling me that even the capital city of Kiev is uh, probably at risk of oh. actually being just blacked out, right? It could, it could go dark. I mean, you know, that Ukraine is, is very, very dependent on these reactors. They, they, and even at Chernobyl, You've got the old core, which is covered by basically an awning yeah. that costs $2 billion. You have three other reactors there that have been shut since 2000, but there's tons and tons and tons of radioactive waste there. I mean, you know, the Ukraine is a sitting radioactive duck, and, and the, the radio, radiation from Chernobyl went all over the world. It was detected in New England. It killed birds in California. I mean, you know, this is a global apocalypse on the brink of happening. If it, all the, you know, if Putin wakes up tomorrow and decides, ah, oh, to heck with it, and throws three shells at, at the, the six reactors in, in, that are near him, it's over. Yeah, you know, Ukraine is over, radioactive cloud. These reactors have to be shut and, and, and somebody's got to deal with Ukraine's power supply. It could not be worse. Egberto, uh, 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 15 reactors in a potential war zone. You have got to be kidding me. Now, I mean, let me ask you the, the, the foolish question now, Harvey. So what do we do from here? What, what, what responsibility does the United States have, NATO, et cetera? What happens going forward? They've got to provide backup power to Ukraine and they've got to shut all those reactors. And even that's not enough. A shut reactor is still vulnerable. And just to give you some kind of perspective, Fukushima had emitted 100 times more radioactive cesium than was, than was released at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Imagine that, 100 yeah. 100 times more. 
And, you know, with six reactors at a single site within a couple hundred miles of a war zone, you I mean, it couldn't be worse. It's a, it's a nightmare. Nobody's talking about this. Well, now you are. So, you know, you're the first to get on the air with this. It's, it's, it's absolutely terrifying. And you're right. Nobody. Why? Because the nuclear industry has 400 reactors worldwide. There are 93 in the United States. Virtually all of them more than not more than 30 years old. You, you know, with a 30 year old reactor, anything can go wrong at any time. So if you introduce instability into the region, which is now being done, um, um, you know, we could lose the cooling system. We can lose a, an operating crew. Uh, you know, I mean, anything can happen with these reactors. So all these people that just want warmongering, I mean, uh, oh, uh, if Putin misbehaves, we just go blow crap up or whatever. Or even Putin, if he feels that he's in a vulnerable condition, could actually do something. Uh, this requires a whole lot of uh, smart diplomacy, eh? <laughs> you know, it would take, uh, you know, one millionth of the Russian arsenal to create a global apocalypse. Right. I mean, not even a, a two mortar shells would be required to hit the cooling system, um, spook the uh, operators, whatever you want. Uh, right. Like I said, I could bore you for the next hour. So uh, th this is beyond serious, and it's amazing nobody's nobody's talking about. So let it. me ask you, Harvey, what are you doing about it with your team of folks? Are you guys, uh, I mean, you came here to give me that information. Are, are you guys, I understand that some of the folks have already been triggering some of the folks in the Defense Department who I think should know this stuff? Well, actually, thanks to Eileen Proctor, I did get a message to a, a person who has since sent that message to people very high in the Pentagon. I, they know, they can't not know about this. Right. They just don't want it in the media because the nuclear industry, uh, we, as I say, there's 400 reactors worldwide. Most of them are 30 years old or older. All of them in the United States, with one exception, are 30 years or older. You know, it takes nothing. It, it's like driving down the highway full of potholes in, in a 1980 Volkswagen. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, a, it's an insane situation. Well, look, Harvey. Absolutely was, terrifying. Harvey Wasserman, look, thank you so kindly for bringing us this information. We're definitely going to put this out there all over because uh, this is something that it does. I mean, it, they may, it may seem like they're way over there, but that stuff gets into the Baltic Sea. That thing gets into the Mediterranean. That thing gets everywhere, ultimately speaking, and through the, the, jet, the different jet streams that they are. So thank you so kindly for bringing that up in, uh, to our attention. Um, anything else that you'd like to, to tell us before we leave? Well, look, this is the uh, ultimate reason why we want to go uh, to green energy. And, um, you know, these guys want to talk about the wonders of nuclear power and carbon and all that stuff. It's ridiculous. Uh, anyone, any of the slightest miscalculation at any one of these 15 reactors uh, is apocalyptic. And, uh, and so if you want to, your listeners want any more further debate about why nuclear power plants need to be shut and why we can't build any more of them and why we need to shift immediately to wind and solar and batteries and LED, this is it. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Putin gets up on the wrong side of the bed and we're all going to be showered in radiation. That's the bottom line. Harvey Wasserman, thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right.
Thank you, Alberto. And you are the first. You put this out, you'll be the first. We- All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed Harvey. Harvey is always a pleasure to speak to. Uh, we work in a whole lot of other areas together on the Pacifica network and other networks out there. Anyhow, uh, let's see, let's see, para ver, para ver, para ver. We have, um, I think uh, Daniel says, Egberto has shown his ignorance. I never said exceptional. Superpower is a political term. Look up the history. I wasn't trying to say that you said exceptional. I was just adding that to the conversation that we were never really a super, the sole superpower. You know, to sit, sit sit down there with China having three times or four times our population and think we're a superpower, uh, I think it's sort of, um, uh, it's, it, it's, it, it's, it's full of hubris, right? So no, I wasn't trying to say that you called us um, exceptional, but, you know, many have. In fact, many on the right, if you don't say you're exceptional, they want to call you a traitor when you're just telling the truth, you know? All right, let's see. Uh, Michael says, Chernobyl caused a million deaths. Quesh offers a gross overestimate. Uh, the Union of Concerned Scientists estimate between 4,000 and 27,000 people died as a result of the disaster, whereas Greenpeace placed a figure at 93,000 to 200,000. I think when Harvey talks about a million, Harvey is talking about all the residual effects. In other words, all the people who have gotten genetic diseases, all the people who have gotten latent cancers, all that sort of thing, I think is what they're talking about. But again, um, you know, uh, I, you know, Harvey was interviewed. What can I say? Um, uh, let's see. Russia knows where the nuclear reactors are. If they're stupid enough to bomb those areas, they don't have to bomb it. The problem is what happens if the guys who run the reactors get spoofed, right? That is our big concern. Uh, Tori Mercer says, in Ukraine, there are three main points that need to be resolved via negotiation. One, self-determination for all Ukrainians. Two, where to draw the borders. And three, nukes, NATO nukes and Russian nukes, self-determination. Point number one is not negotiable. But when it is observed, it solves point. Number two, Crimea and the eastern Ukrainian provinces should have never been given or assigned to Ukraine in 1954 by the Soviets. These are Russian cultural areas, and they deserve self-determination, just like the Western Ukrainians. Western Ukrainians probably understand that when Eastern Ukrainians vote as a bloc in national Ukraine elections, it screws up the political system because it basically gives Russia a veto on everything, and they wind up in much worse gridlock than even the U.S. political system. Western UKs need to gulp real hard and cede the eastern provinces and Crimea to Russia. It's full of outdated and toxic 1950s Soviet coal mines and industrial sites and due for a green makeover anyway. Toss it like a bad roommate that kicks your cat. That just leaves point number three, nukes. 2022 to 1945 equals 77 years of mutually assured destruction, a.k.a. madness. Yeah, M-A-D. It's always a good time to stop pointing weapons at people. Nukes are just the tippy top of a very lucrative industry so when the nukes go away so does a reason for most of other products manufactured by some incredibly evil and greedy mfs and they will not go away by themselves they control their market share in the u.s and russia by sucking money from the working class the reason i'm reading this from tori's story is making a lot of sense here 
a large percentage of its corrupting and controlling legislature of U.S. and Russia. Then the bulk of these profits go into the banks of the U.S. and Russian oligarchs. So now we have some real targets that need to be obliterated, the corrupt legislators that vote for funding the weapons industries in our two countries, and the people that get extremely wealthy from the arms business follow the money and the, then kill the money. It's the only way out of madness. I couldn't have said it any better. It is those are those corrupt people out there causing problems. Daniel Ado says, uh, let's see what he says. He says, uh, I think Putin is well aware of the reactor meltdown. Yes, he is. They Biden ordered heavy new U.S. financial sanction against Russia. Yes. Bruce says, I mentioned that about the nuclear stuff last week. Thank you, Bruce. We always know you're a scientist, man. You, you know those things. Uh, let's see. Germany, E2247 says, Germany also announced it was halting the process of certifying the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline for Russia. Yes, they did. And let's see. Michael Runner says, Daniel Edo agreed. Putin, Putin is unlikely in the extreme to attack Ukraine's nuclear reactor. However, Egberto brings up a good point about their workers abandoning their posts, leading to a meltdown, which is what Harvey was alluding to as well. Um, replying to Michael Maywood, Greenpeace took those eventualities into account for their estimates. Okay, I, I didn't know. Thank you for looking that up. Uh, Eric Hayes says, why does Harvey get it to the media to put pressure on? Um, he does. We are the media as well, independent, but there are certain parts of the media that won't want to touch what we talk about. I wonder why. Again, we know what 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 what, what that reason is. Daniel so he keeps saying 30 years or older to gin up fear. Come on, man. You're telling me none of them have been upgraded? Ah, he's a green energy nutball. No, he's a green energy guy. And there, you shouldn't be calling green energy people nutballs. They're doing important work. Haiku 33333 says nuclear is green energy, Lado. I don't consider nuclear green energy because once the output gets out, it's no longer green. In other words, yeah, it doesn't create CO2 per se, but it gives out radiation, and actually quite a few other things. Uh, Bruce says a million is an exaggeration. I, I can buy that. Uh, as a member of a sister city's group, I was on tour. That was the first American group to tour Kiev after Chernobyl. Kiev is one of the most beautiful cities I've seen, I've ever been in, part of my sorrow. You go, girl. Daniel says, oh, geez, ask any political scientist. America has been considered the sole global superpower on many metrics in the 1990s. You are obviously not an academic relative to the international relations. I Look, of course I know that we've been called the sole superpower for all this time. But it's amazing. Let's, let's stop. Let's stop. Because not because the academics says it. Maybe the academics have some definition otherwise. But let me tell you this. From the time the Soviet Union disintegrated, did these nuclear weapons that made the Soviet Union a superpower disintegrate? Did China not build up on more of its power as well? Could we really ever win a battle against China? Come on. Again, uh, we have to be able to be cognizant of issues and think independently, even independent of scholars who are towing a particular line. We, we believe in scholars. I absolutely believe in scholars. But are scholars infallible? No, they're not. Our, their definitions are not necessarily the practical definition, but the theoretical definitions many a times. And humans can all distinguish those. Smart humans can all distinguish those things, right? I, I think so. Haikoop says anecdotal, though. Anecdotal. Haikoop says, how many 
Is it then Bruce Pollard? We're waiting. Uh, I, no, Bruce mentioned it earlier. Eric Hayes says, here is the example of affordability. 2013, 65 kilo, K miles for 40K. That would, that what normal person can afford this much less than maintenance on, uh, well, <laughs> I'm not going there. All right. I don't want to be negative. You don't get to make up your definitions. That is chaos. chaos. No, we don't get to make up our definitions, but not because people who are predisposed to call the United States a superpower because of who they are. So we just accept that the United States is a superpower. I'm sorry. From the day that the disintegration of the Soviet Union occurred, didn't mean that this disintegration of them having what we refer to as superpower capabilities. I'm sorry. I mean, I understand what you I mean, it's nice to say we're the sole superpower. How can you be a superpower if you can't get things done anyway? What does it mean? I don't know. Okay, I don't know what superpower means then. I don't know. Anyway, continuing, uh, priorities typo says AVQ. AVQ also says theorem MSR can be made small, but our civilization hasn't bothered putting the necessary funding towards infrastructure investment, less a fiction than a choice. You know, there, there are nuclear reactions that can be considered green. Uh, let's say fusion. Uh, but, but we've been working at that so long, I don't know. Uh, maybe we need more investment. But back in the early days when I was at the University of Texas in Austin, uh, we had a nuclear reactor in Taylor Hall, a real fission nuclear reactor. But over the street on uh, the Crockle building in the basement at University of Texas, we were actually building a tokamak. And the tokamak, what was the tokamak? The tokamak is a magnetic bottle we were testing out uh, plasma to create nuclear reactors, nuclear fusion reactors, which produce no radiation and also which has limitless power since it uses heavy water as part of the fuel. Okay, Troy Astro says a superpower means nothing if you're weak. <laughs> and I, I think it's an oxymoron, right? You tell me. Michael Rudden says fusion is always 10 years away. I know, you know, I remember when they, they, they even talked about um, uh, normal temperature fusion or something. I mean, it's, I think, look, the sun does fusion because of its gravitational pull. It's, it's, it, it has the ability to be itself a huge magnetic bottle, right? But um, we could, I think, if we invested in it, but we don't. We don't invest as we should in science, but we're always ready to invest in power and give a whole lot of that spoils from that to the wealthy instead of reinvesting it. Link time. Thank you. I forgot. Thank you. Hey, folks, let's go ahead and do my video. Roberto Willis, as host of Politics Done Right, a progressive radio media show on Pacifica Network's KPFT 90.1 FM Houston that engages all ideologies. I found that our political angst isn't mostly ideological. There is a well-designed effort by many in power to control us. If we are at each other's throats, we are less likely to demand our economic and local wishes. In that light, I wrote three books. I wrote the first one titled, As I See It, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom, to describe the entire economy in a manner we can all understand. It highlights why it was designed to pill for most as it empowers a few, the chosen. The second book, 
title, It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors, take it to the next level. After understanding how the system pilfers, it is incumbent that we can speak to our peers to empower a change. The third book, How to Make America Utopia, Take Away the Economy from Those Who Rigged It gives us a place to land. After learning about our economy that is dysfunctional for most and learning how to engage the other side, we point out what would make an economy that works for all. Each book stands on its own, but together they provide the full picture. Please consider getting one or more. You will undoubtedly learn, be entertained, and help us continue the mission with our blogs, articles, videos, and books. Yes. So please, you can find our book. Oh, somebody's trying to spam us with bad stuff. Uh, you can find our books at politicsunright.com slash books. Let me get rid of those that, that spammer real quick uh, first, and then uh, I'll get back to it. Let's see. Get rid of you. I think you're gone now. Let's see if I have any more. Yep, you're all gone. Great. All right. Got rid of the spammer. Okay. Let's see. Um, you can also get us some support by going to pot if you're on youtube just click that join button please become a part of our posse by hitting that join button i promise you that what we do is very important work uh, when you click on that join button we also explain some of what we we do for in, in in the movement you can also if you don't see that join button or if you're on another network you can join the youtube network by just going to politicsandright.com slash youtube politicsandright.com slash youtube alternative you can support us on patreon we need a lot of patrons politicsandright.com says patreon patreon is spelled p-a-t-r-e-o-n p-a-t-r-e-o-n or you can support us on paypal that is politicsunright.com slash paypal politicsunright.com slash paypal alternatively you can visit us at our store as well we have some great new products at our store politicsunright.com says store politicsunright.com says store and of course our books at politicsunright.com slash books don't forget if you want to find that one link that has all the encompassing ways that you can support us go to politicsunright.com slash support politicsunright.com slash support thank you so kindly for always been there for politics and right okay let's continue answering those questions and by the way thank you so kindly uh for reminding me that i needed deb denny thank you for reminding me that it was link time appreciate it appreciate all my peeps all right let's see what else we got here we have eric case who says could you say our government is now a majority shareholder in pfizer or moderna since 2020 think about it well, I mean, it all the way, right? We're the ones who invested in the design of their of these products, right? I mean, in the case of Moderna, for sure. Pfizer, I think, uh, has another genesis. But ultimately, we all pay for these discoveries because we are the ones who've done it. We're the one who invested in it. And then these uh, mega big pharma companies, they get all the spoils from it. Boomer U says, we have invested trillions in nukes. No nuke project is done by industry except extracting money from ratepayers. Ohio nuke spent $6 million on politicians. Shame, huh? All right, Lido says, okay, this is the last time I will explain this to you. Well, oh, well, thank you, Lido, for really talking to me and teaching me. He says, the term superpower is understood by honest people to describe global political relations. It is based on multiple metrics. It is used to define those metrics. I get it. You like to define so as to conform to your ideology. It reveals your, how your ideology is hostile to intellectual debate. Hmm. Okay. Wow. I wouldn't have quite said it that way, but if you want to call me anti-intellectual, 
hey, that's why it's a free country and you're able to say whatever you want, right, Daniel? I think it's free. But, you know, I mean, when I read, when I read that definition of superpower, I would have to still agree that, um, I mean, if you define superpower just that way, right? I would have to say that we are still the sole superpower. When you take a look at SWIFT, the, inter, the interchange that we have with banking and all of that, it all goes through the American system, right? So in that case, we until we get off the dollar, until we get off, if, if that's how you're defining all those issues, right? Then everything goes through America, right? But you see, if you take a look at our impotence in controlling much of the world, that is where I come across and say, how can you call yourself a superpower when little countries can do things and are ineffective at it? So um, I'm, I'm going to split the difference here with you, Daniel. And here's how I'm going to split the difference. I'm going to give it to you that under that definition, we are still the sole superpower. You know, again, I read, I listen, I understand, and I'm not scared to change you know, based on what definition you give you, I'll give you that. But as far as in practical terms, I, I, I stand by what I said. Hell no. Just think about just think about what I've said here. Carl Cox is Gilberto, rock, 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 rocking in a rocking chair. I don't care if rock, nowhere. That's funny. PDR mission statement inspires and brims with goodwill. Thank you so kindly. Worth reading. It's the first thing you see. Politicsdoneright.com slash support. Please. I, I love you, brother. Thank you for promoting and what we do. Last time explaining, God, let's hope that is true. <laughs> hey, man, I, I like listening to everybody, man. Hey, Daniel, uh, man, if only Egberto could put this meme on the screen. You know what? Since you've been telling me to do this for so long, I am going to try it one more time. And let's go ahead and see. Uh, it, it may not, look, I'm going to put it up, okay? I'm going to put it on the screen. It's going to blink some. But I think everybody can tolerate the blinks. So we'll, we'll, we'll have it blinking, but it's okay. I'm going to put it up. Uh, let's see if it goes. And if it goes, it's going to blink. But that's what Rudnan wants you to see. And I think it's an important piece of thing to see. So there you go. I, I want to see what causes a blink. I don't know. But there you go. And let me just read it for those who can't read through the blink. It says, take the bait. That's why it's called debate. <laughs> I love that. 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 Okay. So I did it for you, Brother Rudnin. Uh, is that okay now with you, sir? Let me know if, if I fulfilled your wish, sir. Okay. Let's continue. What else? What other messages are out there? Eric Hayes says, this country is not free, lost of extra costs, but the taxpayers now. Michael Rudnin says, thanks for that, Egberto. See ya in couple days tomorrow's gonna be at the dentist hey i think i read that before you go let me let me see let me see what you wrote about the dentist uh i think you wrote something about the dentist didn't you uh rudnan uh rudnan says hey, i'm going to be away tomorrow to the dentist so this show see you in two days we're gonna miss you tomorrow rudnan but you know we love you just make sure and get back here with your good stuff make sure you have all that good stuff and i love the little molar that you have in your thing there the molar is kind of fun okay i have one other video i want to show you uh, this video it was it was warm to me because what happened is sam donaldson was there to discuss uh lillian carter a very very nice woman before her time a civil rights leader before her time 
who wasn't married to necessarily somebody who followed civil rights. It was President Carter's mother. But if you wanted to know the benevolence of Jim Carter, uh, of, uh, uh, on why Jimmy Carter was the way he, he is, it's because of who his mother was. But something else happened at the end of the show that really was touching. Finally, I saw a break in patriarchy because of how this person responded when Donaldson asked the question. And when Mika Brzezinski, it's, it was Mika Brzezinski's show, and I really enjoyed the respect that this guy had for her. So I want you to listen to this. And again, two good things. Lillian Carter, a wonderful woman, and the deferral of this man. Check this out. Elise Jordan, yeah. you have the next question. Sam Elise Jordan here. I love Hi, that you are showcasing, hello, such a strong Southern woman who obviously no. had great influence on her son. And I find her story fascinating because it's one thing for President Carter to have held evolved views on race and human rights, given the decades he lived in. But Miss Lillian was born in the turn of the century, deep south Georgia. What can you tell us about how her upbringing and background influenced her beliefs? In just looking at her biography and all of that, uh, in a small town of Archery, New Georgia, uh, what caused her? To be a person who understood human rights and the civil rights of everybody in this country, I'm just not competent to tell you. All I know is that she did. And I know she infused her children with the same view. And Jimmy Carter would say the same thing if he were here today. God bless him. He's 98. He's doing well. She was the force in the life. Her husband and Jimmy's father uh, was a man of the South. And he didn't have the same view as his wife did about all of this. But clearly she ran the family, at least from the standpoint of making the children. Sam, it's Richard Haas. Good morning. Long time no talk. Yeah, here we are. We're talking about Russia invading a country. Well, that happened in 1979 with Afghanistan. We're talking about inflation being really high. We're talking about a president who doesn't seem to be bonding with the American people. You covered the Carter presidency. You're, you're watching the Biden presidency. Are you struck by the similarities or the differences more? How, what's, what's your take on it? Well, more the differences. I think both people, are, both men are decent men. Both, both men, you don't come to the presidency, as you know, Richard, as well as anyone, saying, I'm going to destroy it. Well, you don't do it consciously, at least. I may know of one exception. The point is, Biden's the man of the Senate. He thought conciliation, let's work together, that's the way we used to do it. They discovered this first year, no, that's not the way the Republicans are going to do it. If you come to a knife fight, Richard, in the alley, you better bring a bigger knife, not here's some salve for the wounds. In the case of uh, other presidents, uh, they've learned this. Nixon knew how to do it. Uh, and George Herbert Walker Bush also knew about Washington. And you got to know something about Washington. I think one of Jimmy Carter's problems was he thought he could just do it because he's president. And he meant well. Well, that's not that's not the way it works. And today, Richard, I want to ask you the question. What's happening in the Donbass? What's happening in the so-called non-invasion, which in fact obviously is an invasion. And how do we react? Nika, do I have the right to answer that? You go right ahead. What are we <laughs> looking ahead to today, especially coming from the White House? I thought that was so very respectful of that man. Uh, Donaldson got into his reporter way of being, and even though he it's not his show, he went ahead and asked the question, 
And the other man just went ahead and said, Mika, is it okay for me to answer that question? Deferring to Mika, understanding the type of patriarchy that we have, that in the long run, you know, you always have men come onto these shows and in as much as it's a woman's running the show, they want to take over. I just found that refreshing. I don't know how many people kind of noticed that, but for me, it was like, while, while Donaldson was asking the question, in my mind, I was saying, my God, Donaldson, that is Mika's show. She's doing the question and not you. Have some respect is what I was saying. And to just have him defer to her was very, very inspiring. We are getting, we are at the end of the show, actually. But I just wanted to take the little extra time to say one thing. Yes, I love Jimmy Carter. I think Jimmy Carter is likely the most honest president we have ever had. I think Jimmy Carter is likely the most moral president we have ever had. And Jimmy Carter, unlike most other presidents, didn't leave the presidency to go out there and make a whole bunch of money based on having been president. He went out there to help people from... Uh, uh, from building homes with Habitat for Humanity, of which I was a donor for a very long time, to many other things. And now with Lee Grant claiming that, well, what reminds people today of Carter is the high gas prices and inflation, I first must remind folks that the inflation doesn't come anywhere close to what it was during the Carter years, but further, that the same manipulation of gas prices by the plutocrats that occurred under under um, under. Carter is the same thing that's happening under under Biden. Uh, gas, there has never been a shortage. It has always been market manipulation by the plutocrats extracting our money. And instead of holding our ire to the president, we should be holding our ire to a capitalist system that allow them to screw us all. Until we start putting our eye on the guilty party, these things will continue to happen to us and we will continue to lose value, our value to society. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this. Baby, I am what? Oh! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.